Well, it's a joy to be with you all today. Uh, my name is John Stead, or Jonathan Stead, and I'm one of the Jonathans here. Uh, Pastor Jonathan Rourke is away uh, in the Ventura area with his family. Yesterday, his oldest daughter, Olivia, was married to uh, Josiah Teresiev is his last name, and uh, it was a beautiful wedding. Fortunately, they were able to move all of the outdoor activities indoors because there was so much rain, uh, but it was a wonderful, wonderful service um, to see uh, Olivia get married yesterday. Uh, today, I have the privilege of preaching God's holy word. Um, this is the truth. This is the truth that has changed my life, and this is the truth that has changed many people's lives in this building. And we want to look at God's holy truth. Um, I want to look at Luke chapter 19 uh, on the story of Zacchaeus. So if you turn to Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, I want to look at the conversion of Zacchaeus and compare it to what we learned two weeks ago with the rich young ruler who walks away from Jesus sad. Then I want to look at the poor blind man, Bartimaeus, who cries out for mercy and he gets saved. And then we get to Zacchaeus, who's a very rich man, and he gets saved. So we're going to kind of tackle all three stories, mainly camp out with Zacchaeus, but I want you to see the glories of Christ and the power of transforming grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray briefly. Lord, thank you now that we can open your word. I pray that you would work in a mighty way and teach us, uh, show us your amazing love, your amazing grace, your desire to seek and save lost sinners. Thank you that you are a God that is others-oriented, that you long to have man that you created be a part of your family, and you initiated that love by sending your son. So I pray that today your son would be glorified and that we would leave this place overjoyed because you are a God who saves. Be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho, this is Jesus, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. At the end of this section in verse 10, we have what I believe to be the theme of the book of Luke. I'm in agreement with uh, Dr. MacArthur that this is the mission of Christ. This is the reason why Jesus came to the earth ultimately. And it is the theme of the book of Luke. That Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. And if I do not cover this immediately, you will not really fully understand the amazing grace of Christ and the interactions with these folks and with Zacchaeus specifically. Notice that it says the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. That name, the Son of Man, is a messianic title. It's a title that describes Christ as the Messiah, the sent one, the promise of God, who is going to come and rescue the lost. He's to come and seek and save the lost. That's his theme and that's his purpose. Notice that it says there that the Son of Man came. This is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, God's Son, came from heaven, became a man, was born a man in the manger, and then lived 33 years without sinning once. And the last three years of his life, he was commissioned to seek and save that which is lost. So God came down and became a man. The Son of Man came to seek. The idea there is to pursue. Jesus was sent in love by the Father, initiated by the Father, the whole plan of salvation, the love of God towards man. He initiated that by uh, sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to come and seek and save sinners like you and me. The Son of Man came to seek and save. The idea there is to rescue The rescue from what? The Son of Man came to rescue man from sin. The consequences of sin, which is death and ultimately spiritual death. Jesus Christ came to save us from the wrath of God and eternal punishment for our sins. And we are described in this, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Lost. When we were not believers, we were lost. You need to understand this word. It's the same word that's used in Luke 15 verse 4 when Jesus is describing a sheep that leaves the pen and wanders away and it can't find its way back. And so the shepherd out of love goes and retrieves, finds and retrieves the the lost sheep. And that's how we are described as sinners. We are lost. That is, we have no ability to find the way. To find is unattainable. We cannot find heaven on our own. It is impossible with man, but is possible with God. My brother recently told me a story of his friend. His friend is in his 50s, late 50s. And his wife, on a Friday evening, got in the car and went to a local store to get some medicine. It was about three or four miles away from her home. And she didn't come back that evening. And he went out and sought after her. And finally, he called the police and they looked for her all evening. 
And they didn't find her till the next morning, and she was three uh, towns away in her car, asleep. And once they found her, they obviously did some medical exams, and they found out that she had the early onslaught of dementia. She couldn't remember how to get back to her own home. And she was completely lost, completely helpless at that point, memory gone, and she had to be found by her husband and the police. That's the idea of being lost, that we have no ability to find the way. But Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, you and I. So I want to look at how Jesus went about going and seeking and saving the lost. And I I have to take you back to John's sermon uh, two weeks ago on the rich young ruler. If you look in Matthew or Luke chapter 18, just one chapter over, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem and he has this interchange with the rich young ruler. The rich young, young ruler was young, he was rich, he was a Jew, and when he came to Jesus, he said, Jesus, or good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And surprisingly, Jesus gives him the Ten Commandments. He gives him the Seventh Commandment, do not commit adultery. The Sixth Commandment, do not murder. The Eighth Commandment, do not steal. And then the Fifth Commandment, honor your mother and father. And he says, well, I've, I've kept all those since my youth. Well, we looked at last week the letter of the law. Maybe in the letter of the law he kept those commandments. But if you drill down to the spirit of the law and you look at the Beatitudes of Christ, Christ said if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And if you have been angered or have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder. Clearly, the rich young ruler did not keep the law. And then Jesus said, one thing you still lack Go and sell all that you have. Jesus gives him a command. You must get rid of all your wealth. Come and follow me. And he leaves sad, right? He goes away sad, discouraged, downcast, and eventually probably moved to to anger over this. And he goes away sad. But then we read, we read in uh, the second half of, or the last half of uh, Luke 18, Jesus, as he's going to Jericho, he runs into or comes across a blind beggar. Okay, a blind beggar. Now we know from Matthew and Luke that this is the man Bartimaeus. And Jesus is coming to Jericho. He probably has a hundred or so people, maybe more, that are following him. And as he's getting ready to enter the city, he hears this man crying out, Son of David! Have mercy on me. He had found out that the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, was coming through. He had obviously heard of who Jesus was. And this blind beggar who is very poor, he's at the bottom of the rung. He has no ability on him, uh, in himself to, to uh, you know, even care for himself physically. He has to beg to get help. And that's exactly what's happening in his spirit as well. He recognizes that this Jesus is the son of David, and he calls him the son of David, which means he understood in his mind that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the promised one. 
And they, the, the crowd says, hey, shh, stop it, stop it. Don't distract Jesus. And he cries out even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. And he says, bring that man near. And they bring him near. And instead of asking a question, like the rich young ruler, Jesus brings the question to Bartimaeus. What would you like me to do for you? Could you imagine the God of the universe talking to you and says, what can I do to help you? And Bartimaeus says, Lord, Lord, I just want to see. Please heal me, Lord. And immediately, Jesus reconstructs whatever's going on in his eyes, rebuilds his eyes in a split second, and his eyes are open, and now he can see his Savior, and he gets up and follows Jesus, praising God. Amazing. Very different ending than the rich young ruler. And now, Jesus is entering into Jericho right after this with Bartimaeus, and he is going to interact with Zacchaeus. Look at verse 1. And he entered Jericho. He entered Jericho. Now Jericho, this is not the ancient city, because remember, Jericho was destroyed. It was the city where Rahab was. Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother was there, and she was a prostitute, and she was saved, and her whole family that city was destroyed, and then the new Jericho was built just south of there, very close, very nearby, and it was built by Herod the Great. And it was a beautiful city. It was a very wealthy city, a very a place that people would love to come and vacation, like uh, San Diego, same type of weather. Uh, and that's Jericho. And the word says that Jesus was just passing through. Now, I love this. He wasn't just passing through. He was going there on mission. First of all, he's headed to Jerusalem. If you go back into Luke chapter 18, right before the healing of the blind beggar, he is telling his disciples that I am headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to have six court cases that take place. I'm going to be uh, condemned to die, and then I will die. And that is about eight days away. Okay? He, his death is right around the corner, and yet he is ministering to folks as he heads to the cross. And he has this wonderful interaction with Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold. And Luke is like, guys, listen to this story. This is so wonderful. You need to know this. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Okay, Zacchaeus was Jewish because his name was a Hebrew name. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Now, this is the only time in the Gospels that the name chief tax collector is presented. And one commentator says this. This is, this is great. The tax buyers were considered to be farmers. Okay? So you have farmers that are raising potatoes. You have farmers that are raising avocados. But these guys are raising taxes. And they're called farmers of taxes, if you will. The tax buyers or farmers had paid a fixed sum of money to the Roman government 
for the privilege of levying tolls upon exports and imports as well as upon whatever merchandise passed through the region. The main tax offices were located at Caesarea, Capernaum, and Jericho. The farmers would then sublet their rights to chief publicans, this would be Zacchaeus, who then would employ publicans below them, so the publican had the reputation of being an extortionist. They would charge large sums of money, whatever the traffic would bear. And they were considered to be renegades and traitors because they, many of them Jewish, just like Zacchaeus, were working for the oppressor, which is Rome. And they are leveling huge taxes upon the people of Israel. So Zacchaeus was considered to be a traitor. He was despised by his fellow Jews. He was an extortionist, or at least those that he worked with were. And he would, and they would fleece the public, which means they overcharged the taxes for own personal gain. He was also an outcast. We see at verse 7 that they called him a sinner. And they looked down upon him. Not just because he was short. They looked down upon him because he was an outcast. And most likely he was lonely. I mean, if your, your whole fellow man, the Jews, rejected you, most likely he lived a lonely, sad existence. The only relationships he probably had were with other fellow publicans who were all about their own personal gain. It would be like sharks swimming with sharks, eating each other up. That's probably the life that he knew. He was very, very rich, but also probably very sad, very guilty, cut off from his, the fellowship of his fellow man, and ultimately from the God of his youth. Now we know from Luke chapter 3 that tax collectors, publicans were getting saved and some of them were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized and they would come to him and say, hey, what must we do, John? And John would say to them, stop extorting. That's it. He just says that sentence. Okay, you're following Jesus now? Stop exhorting, extorting. I exhort you to stop extorting. There you go. So uh, that's all he says. He doesn't say stop being a publican, okay, a tax collector. Just stop ripping off your people. And then, of course, Levi, the, the author of the book of Matthew, was a tax collector who was saved. So that's Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Look at verse uh, 3. So he's the chief tax collector, and he was rich, verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Zacchaeus is seeking after Jesus in the sense that he wants to see him. There's a strong curiosity with Zacchaeus. He's probably heard a lot about what Jesus has done. This is late in Jesus' ministry, so he is very well known for being a prophet, for being a man that heals people. And Zach is just, Zach, Zacchaeus is very interested in this. Strong, strong curiosity. Jesus is uh, healing people. There's, there's possibility, the possibility that Jesus may have, or uh, Zacchaeus may have witnessed Bartimaeus getting his eyes 
uh, healed. Because of his toll booth, where he would collect taxes, would be at the entryway and exit of, of Jericho. And maybe he witnessed uh, Bartimaeus getting healed. Notice that it says, But on account of the crowd, he could not see Jesus because he was small in stature. This is very important to the story, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. This is a key problem for Zacchaeus. Now, there is a song that's been written, and Dave said, please do not sing the song about this man. And I couldn't help but think, Dave, if you had written this song, the royalties would still be flowing in, man. But I'm not going to sing the song about Zacchaeus. Uh, Ironside, who is a pastor at Moody Bible Church, uh, said this, not only was Zacchaeus a come shorter spiritually, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But he was also a come shorter physically as well. And I'm sure at times Zacchaeus probably struggled with being small. I can imagine that in his home, his close companion was probably a step stool or maybe a ladder. And often he wished he was taller. Now, I'm six foot three. I can't really relate to this, but I can tell you there are many times that I wish I was shorter, okay? Often, I hit my head on the upper cabinet doors that are swung open. And if my head continues to keep losing the hair that it is, you will see the scars. Also, hitting my head on door jams of cars when I get into the car. I do that all the time. Maybe that's why my memory is getting worse. But uh, nevertheless, uh, shorter people do not have a hard time finding clothes that fit. It took us forever to find a shirt that could fit my long, long arms. Um, short people fit comfortably on airplanes. Uh, you have no idea. When you sit down and your knees are already touching the chair in front of you, you're just hoping that they don't bring the chair back once they get up in the flight. And surely they do and you have no room. But get this. On average, short people live much longer than tall people. So if you happen to be short in stature and you're in a conversation with, let's say, Jonathan Viles, who's 6'5", or J.D. Sanderson, who's 6'5", and you're, you're looking at them and you're talking to them, you can think in your heart, I've got you guys by about 15 years, okay? So don't be looking down at me, you know? But his stature is so important to the story because he could not, Zacchaeus could not see over the crowd. And think about this. It's not just that he couldn't see over. You know that he probably asked, hey, do you think I can move to the front so I can see Jesus? You could still see over me. I'm not going to block any views. No, you know what was going on? The crowd kept him out. He was considered a traitor. He was an outcast. Again, they called him a sinner. And the other reason why this is so important in stature is because it got Zacchaeus up into a tree, which is an amazing idea to think about, that this very wealthy man, this tax collector, is going to be up in a tree because he wants so badly just to see Jesus. You know, Bartimaeus was blind and he longed to see Jesus. 
Zacchaeus could see, but he had to see Jesus personally. I need to see the Lord. So the crowd won't let him. So what does he do? He runs off ahead. He remembers a tree on the side of the road, a sycamore tree. He runs there. and Men in that culture didn't run in public. And then he climbs a tree, which is awesome. He climbs a tree, which shows his urgency, his longing to see this Jesus. Now, sycamore trees in that area are tall. They can grow up to 30 or 40 feet. They have a huge canopy and uh, large leaves. So it's a perfect, perfect tree for Zacchaeus, who is small, to climb up in the tree, get out on a limb, and be able to see Jesus and then not be seen. It's amazing the length that Zacchaeus is going just to see Jesus. One commentator says this, Usually we must seek the Lord if we want to find him. To the eye, at any rate, the apparent work of grace goes on in this way. A man begins to cry for mercy as the blind man did, and he heard that Jesus was coming by. And he cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. But God is so rich in grace that he does not restrict himself to the usual, this usual method. Generally, he is found of them that seek him, but sometimes he is found of them that seek him not. Yes, if I tell you the whole truth, if you go down to the bedrock of actual fact, it is always God who seeks sinners. He always calls them a people who are not a people. And the first movement between God and the sinner is never on the sinner's part, but on God's part. Charles Spurgeon. That is very accurate. It's not we sinners that move to God first. It's God who comes to us first. John 6.44. No one can come to me this is Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So yes, Zacchaeus is seeking. He really wants to see Jesus. But what's really happening is that God the Father is drawing him. And while he's drawing Zacchaeus, he is sending his son. And then ultimately, the Holy Spirit will come and seal, bring about conviction and seal but nevertheless, it's God that draws. That's what's happening with Zacchaeus. This interest, this longing to see Jesus was put forth within his heart by the Father, and then the Son is sent to him. And I love this. It gets him up into a tree. He's up there. He's waiting for Jesus to come by. Uh, you know, it says in uh, verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place... I love this. When he came to the place, this is not coincidence. The tree growing by the road was not by accident. Think about this. A rich, short tax collector was hanging out in a tree, perched like a hawk, desperately longing to see Jesus. What are the chances of seeing that? This is not chance. This was a sovereign ordained divine appointment that was predestined to happen. 
God's economy, within that economy, there is no random chance. Nothing happens accidentally. God is sovereign and in control. And Jesus is coming with this large crowd and he gets right to the place. And guess what he does? Jesus being God knows that Zacchaeus is up there because he looks up. He looks up. He stops. Can you imagine being Zacchaeus? You're in the tree and here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. And then he stops right there and he looks up at you. What do you think he was thinking at that point? In that very moment, he knows. Maybe all the guilt and shame of his sin overwhelmed him in a split second? I don't think so. I think when the eyes, when Jesus looked at him, he looked at him with the eyes of mercy and love and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. It's fascinating to me to know that Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew his name. He'd never met him before, but Jesus knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus had met Jesus. He knows his name and he calls him down. And he comes down happily. That's how I know he didn't feel uh, uh, shame and guilt. No, he comes down joyfully. His response is hurried joy. And he comes down, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today. And Jesus invites himself over. It's the only time in the Gospels where Jesus invites himself to someone's house. Usually he was invited, but here he says, I must. I love this. I must go and stay with you. You need to see the necessity here of Jesus fulfilling his calling. He needed to go be with Zacchaeus. Why is that? Number one, Jesus' desire to abide with Zacchaeus was a sacred compassion and compulsion to minister to this poor traitor of a soul. Jesus wanted to demonstrate his free grace, his untethered mercy, his sovereign and divine reconciliation, which he is initiating into Zacchaeus' life. I must go to your house. The other reason why this is so important is Jesus invites himself over in front of the whole crowd. Right there on the, in, in that of uh, Zacchaeus being called and coming down, the crowd is witnessing this. And then Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And look at the crowd's response in verse 7. And when they saw it, they grumbled, they muttered. How could he go to this wicked man's house? Here's the point. I love this. Often Jesus selects the worst of the worst to lavish his love upon. It crushes self-righteousness. When the God of the universe just chooses to lavish his love upon an outcast, it destroys self-righteousness. It does. And all those people that are watching and looking down upon this traitor is now going to be loved. They're going to witness this amazing love of the God of the universe for this, this man, Zacchaeus. And then the third reason is the whole theme of the book of Luke. Jesus is fulfilling his mission. He's seeking and saving as he's headed to the cross. It's amazing. 
he is going to stop on his journey to go die to have fellowship with this traitor and hang out in his home and love him and care for him and bring him to faith. One commentator says this, although Zacchaeus was very eager to see Jesus, it was Jesus, not the tax collector, who took the initiative in arranging a personal contact. Our God is not a God that is far off. Our God is an intimate, personal God. He sent his son into the world to suffer as we so that we can have a personal, close, high priest who can mediate between us who are sinners and the Father who is holy. It was Jesus who was seeking and saving. This was the keeping, this was in keeping with the Savior's calling, which was in line with the purpose for which why Jesus came. That's why he is ministering to Zacchaeus. I'm going to come to your house and we're going to dine together. Now to wrap this thing up, we need to see the response further from Zacchaeus. And what I want to do here is I want to compare, show and compare the amazing effects of grace upon the self-righteous and grace upon the humble and those who are broken. They're utterly different, the responses. If you remember the rich young ruler, he was self-righteous. He was trusting in his own works and he was trusting in his own wealth. And what happened to that self-righteousness? What did it produce in that man? It produced sadness and sorrow. What did self-righteousness produce in the crowd? It produced a looking down at Zacchaeus. It produced a grumbling, a muttering, a complaining, an unhappy arrogance. That's the fruit of their self-righteousness. But with grace and the love of God and the kindness that leads us to repentance, what do we see with the, the blind beggar? Immediately he follows Christ and he's overjoyed. He's proclaiming God. The response of grace is joy forever. And let's look at Zach's in more, Zacchaeus' in more detail. If you go back in verse 6, remember he came down quickly from the tree. Grace draws the sinner. It doesn't repel the sinner. It draws them in. He received the Lord or he welcomed the Lord. Grace compels the sinner to receive the Lord Jesus. It says he received him joyfully. Yes, come to my house, please. Because grace produces a deep root of happiness and joy. We believers are and should be the happiest, joyful people on the earth. No matter what the circumstances are in our lives, we know ultimately that we are safe because we've been saved. Our greatest need has been met. Now this grace, this working of grace in Zacchaeus' life is expanded upon. We're going to see the fruits of this also in verse 8. And Zacchaeus hurrying down, uh, says, uh, Jesus said, I must stay at, the, at your house. For he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the crowd saw it, they grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And here's the response to grace. And Zacchaeus stood... And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone at any time, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Now I believe the story has shifted from the tree, now they're at Zacchaeus' house. They are dining together. They are ha- I, I just think about the heart of Zacchaeus. He's sitting. Not only did he get to see Jesus, Jesus is in his home. And he, he's come to faith in Jesus. He believes him to be the Messiah. He has recognized the mercy and forgiveness that is now flowing to him because of Jesus' love and grace. And he says this. He says, behold, Lord. I believe, like many of the commentators are saying, he's excited to do something for Jesus now. His response to the grace and love of Jesus is generosity. He says, behold, Lord, like, look, Lord, listen to my plan. He just stands up in the middle of the meal and says, Lord, I want to give away half of my goods, half of my wealth. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Look at this closely. Jesus doesn't put this requirement on him. He did with the rich young ruler because that was an idol. Get rid of your wealth and the idol that's in your heart and follow me. Here we have something happening that's a result of the grace of Jesus. He stands up and says, Lord, I want to give away half of all my goods. Now Calvin, Calvin threw me for a loop here. Because Calvin said, this man, having been saved by Jesus, would not offer half of his wealth if he got it through ill gain. If he had stolen it, okay? And then Calvin pointed out the obvious because Zacchaeus says, if I have defrauded anybody. He's basically saying, Lord, I'm going to go back into 2022, 2021, 2020, and go back through all the books of all the tax keeping that I have done. And I'm going to see if I have defrauded anybody. And notice The extent of what grace does. He wants to give away half of his wealth. What was required in the Old Testament is that you would just give 10%. Here he's willing to give up half. And then if you defrauded anybody, you were to pay back in full 100% plus 20%. But he's going way beyond. I'm going to pay back fourfold. And he's doing this, one, to glorify Jesus Christ. And immediately he's become others-oriented I want to tell others about Jesus. One of the ways that I can proclaim who you are to the hurting and to the poor is to help meet their needs. And then I want to tell them about you, Lord. That's the response of grace here. Grace turned Zacchaeus, who was a rich man, who was sad and who was an outcast, grace turned him into a happy philanthropist who would give away half of his wealth to benefit others. That is the fruit of what Jesus had done in his heart. Now, lest you think all of this was somehow uh, all done by chance, we need to understand that even the small things, the small interactions with people can be in keeping with the seeking and saving of the lost 
which was the mission of Christ. And if you're a believer here today, we get to be a part of that mission. God uses man as his, uh, one of his agents, if you will, or agencies to reach the gospel to the lost. And small things can have an impact. My son sent me this illustration from a Presbyterian pastor named Dave, or Dale Ralph, Ralph Davis. And he, uh, I think he spoke recently at the Master's Seminary. And he tells this story. I want to share it with you. This account reminds us of how important incidental details can be. For Jesus looked up. I think of that story of William Thomas in the community of South Wales where Martin Lloyd-Jones had his first pastorate. William Thomas was perhaps close to 70 years of age and basically a filthy, talking, nasty old drunk. But, the, but he overheard some men in the pub talking about the preaching at the chapel. It's an interesting context. This is in Europe. But he overheard some men in the pub talking about the preaching at the chapel, something about there being hope for everybody. And Thomas was curious to check it out. The first Sunday he lingered outside the church fence and then lost his nerve and left. The second Sunday night he found they were already singing and he was too late. The third Sunday evening he was nervously loitering round the gate when one of the men welcomed him in and said, Are you coming in, Bill? Come and sit with me. Come and sit with me. And he did. And he heard the gospel, understood the message, and came to faith that very night. It all seemed so incidental, and yet in one way, everything hung on those words, come and sit with me. Seems like they were part of a Savior's seeking and saving the lost. Now I know that our church is a warm church, not just because the heater's on, but we are people that love others. And we can still grow even more in that. But we need to be a church that welcomes in folks who do not know us, welcomes in visitors, welcomes in folks that maybe have been on a seeking journey because God is drawing them. And I love the example of Mike and Chris Bird, that they're the first folks that most people who are visiting greet and meet. And uh, they are tremendous examples. And I want that to be the flavor of our church as a whole, that we are always thinking about the lost and those folks that come in to learn and hear and see the Lord Jesus. To see the Lord Jesus. So, in closing, notice that Jesus here, again, doesn't put any demands on Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus voluntarily offers to give away half his wealth generously. Not out of duty, not to earn Christ's love, but out of gratitude, for he had already received Christ's love. Look at verse 9. Look what Jesus says here. Jesus turns and says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. I love that. He says right there on the spot, this Jew who was an outcast by the Jews is now 
being called a son of Abraham again, but not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus says to him, you indeed are a son of Abraham. You are truly saved. Why? Because Abraham put his faith in the promise of God. And that promise was ultimately the Messiah. Now the Messiah is communicating to Zacchaeus that you are just like your father Abraham because you have put your faith in me. I am the Messiah. And you have come to believe. And today salvation has entered this house. Zacchaeus, somehow, sometime between the tree, coming down the tree and having lunch with Jesus, at some point he became a believer. He received Christ and put his faith in Jesus Christ, just like his father Abraham did. Not only did Jesus enter into Zacchaeus' house, but he entered into his heart. Think of that. The God of the universe saved Zacchaeus in his home and entered into Zacchaeus' life for all eternity. As Christ was on his way to the cross, he stops and dines with Zacchaeus. And in order for Zacchaeus to be able to dine with Jesus for all eternity in heaven, Jesus had to go eight days later and die for Zacchaeus' sins, which he did. And that which is impossible with man became possible with God. Because of the love of Christ. Spurgeon says this, He went to his house that he might enter his heart to abide there and to make Zacchaeus holy and happy henceforth forevermore. We have an amazing God. Please bow your heads as we close. I want you to consider... That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We saw evidence of this with the blind man Bartimaeus and now with Zacchaeus. But you know what? That mission didn't stop at the death of Christ for he rose from the dead. And then he commissioned 12 men to go proclaim the truth. And they have proclaimed the truth to the degree that now the church is all over the world. And Jesus Christ is still seeking and saving the lost through the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of the word. And that truth, that seeking has come to you and I. That Jesus Christ has personally come to us and has sought after us. And believer, with your head bowed, consider this. Remember the place, remember the moment that Jesus looked at you with eyes of love and saved you. Jesus Christ went on this redemptive mission to save you individually, personally. And then he adopted you into his family, which is the church. He has dined with you and you will now dine with him for all eternity. Worship him. Praise him. Consider that your greatest need was to come to know 
the Lord Jesus Christ, your creator. And he met that need for you. He sought after you and saved you. If you are here today and you are not a believer, but there's a desire in your heart, there's a curiosity, there's a a seeking, you want to see Jesus. You want his forgiveness. You understand that you're a sinner before him. You understand that you're guilty and that there's no good works you can do that can earn God's forgiveness. And you long for that. You long to know the Savior. Well, I would encourage you to be like the blind beggar Bartimaeus and cry out to him and say, Lord, Savior, have mercy on me. And like Zacchaeus, look to Jesus Christ and receive him. Welcome him into your life. Say, Lord, come and save me. Save me from my sins. And he will. And you will be with him for all eternity. Dining with him. Fellowshipping with him. Loving him. And loving other fellow believers that are there with you as well. Lord God, we praise you and thank you. That indeed you are a God that seeks and saves that which is lost. Amen.